This is the Tribe of Millionaires podcast from GoBundance. The tribe of healthy, wealthy, generous people who choose to live epic lives. Listen Tuesdays for featured guests and Fridays for GoBundance member spotlights. But listen always to hear how our guests have grabbed life big. Now, here's your host, Jamie Gruber. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the show. This week's guest, Christopher Lockhead. He's been around GoBundance for quite some time. He's really tight with Tim Rode and really everybody that's uh, that's been around for a while in the community. He's an entrepreneur, a category designer, former three-time Silicon Valley public company chief marketing officer, a startup advisor, now is the author of a couple of books. He has a newsletter out there called Category Pirates, which is excellent. We'll talk about that in a little bit. And a podcast host, two different podcasts, Follow Your Different, Lockhead on Marketing. You can see his work featured on Forbes, CBS News, Business Insider, and all of this can be found on his website, Lockhead.com. Christopher Lockhead, welcome. Thanks for having me, Jamie. It's an honor to be here. And uh, I love everybody in the GoBundance and One Life world. So thanks for having me. No, it's a pleasure. My pleasure, truly. Let's go back to uh, Eastern Canada. Let's go back to the beginnings for you, uh, your roots. Give us kind of the story. How did you come to be Mr. Lockhead? Well, um, at 18 years old, I got thrown out of school. I found out later when I was 21 that I have uh, four or five different learning differences, dyslexia, dyscalculia, and a bunch of others. I, I put them together and call them dysfuclea. And uh, and we could talk about, if you like, the power of a different brain, um, but that's a, a different conversation. At the time, I didn't know it, right? So I got thrown out of school. And, um, and so my choices at the time were, uh, my mom had gotten me a job at the, um, at a major hospital and, cause that's where she worked as an orderly. Um, and that's a great job. And I was pleased to have that job. Uh, and so my choices after getting thrown out of school were shave guys balls for a living or start a company. And so I started a company and I think Jamie, for, you know, you hear a lot of stories today about, you know, this insanely great entrepreneur who goes to Stanford and you know, creates a technical carbodingulator and then gets a whole bunch of VC money and goes on to become a billionaire and all that. And those entrepreneurs get broadly celebrated in our world, as they should, by the way. Uh, however, I think what gets lost in a lot of the uh, lamestream media is... Um, that for many of us, uh, entrepreneurship is a way up, like I just described. Uh, but for more of us, entrepreneurship is a way out. And so that's what it was for me. Um, and, um, and then from there, I, I did a bunch of things. That company failed. I recovered. A whole bunch of shit happened, blah, blah. I ended up starting another company, which I uh, sold to a Silicon Valley-based software company. Um, and, uh, at 28 years old, I was the head of marketing for a publicly traded software company in Santa Clara, California, um, and sort of never looked back. Uh, and so I went from, uh, literally having no money, no, f no relationships, no experience, uh, no nothing, obviously no education at 18 to being a millionaire and the head of marketing for a, a hot up and coming software company in Silicon Valley at 28. And then I never looked back. You know, I, I've lived in Silicon Valley ever since. 
Um, and uh, I did three stints as as, um, as a public company CMO here in Silicon Valley. And then when our last company, Mercury, when we sold the company to Hewlett Packard for four and a half billion dollars, making HP my favorite company of all time, um, I I retired as an operating guy. I took a bunch of time off. I did lots of things that you know I didn't do as a young man because I was busy starting a company. So I traveled and I. Uh, skied 120 days a year and moved to Tahoe and did a bunch of great shit. But while I was doing that, I was still doing a little bit of investing and a little bit of advising and ultimately ended up starting um, um, another company called Play Bigger. And that company advises entrepreneurs on how to design and dominate market categories. We wrote the book, Play Bigger. And then after the book came out, which is about six years ago now, um, I retired from Play Bigger. And uh, again, took a whole bunch of time off. And then, you know, the book took off, Jamie. And after the book took off, um, there was a huge demand for more. So uh, I'm a talker, as you can probably tell. <laughs> Me too. No, but I'm a listener too. And I love your story. And I, there's a few, few different places I want to go with this because I believe from 38 years old, right? You haven't had to work. Essentially at 38, that's when Hewlett Packard, I think you were 38, right? When Hewlett Packard bought yeah, you Yeah. I mean, the reality is I haven't had to work since I was in my early 30s. But yeah, I mean, I I hung everything up and punched out and did that at 38. Yes. Let's go back to the different part, different brain. This is what intrigues me a lot about you. Um, and, you know, people on the podcast hear me all the time. You know, I, I left an executive career a year ago, you know, after probably being misaligned with it forever, but just didn't have the strength until my early 40s to finally say, you know what, I could probably do something a little different with my life. Um, that different appealed to me when I talked to you. It's not just because we have the same head. Uh, that's not the only thing that appealed to me about you, but um, the different appeals to me. And I, I, I'm, I'm there's sort of in my brain what's going through my head. And maybe it's maybe it's a question I'll ask later, but it's like different brought you to financial freedom or life freedom or the exit that you had in your early 30s all the way to 38 where you exited fully. So it got you there. And then after that, you have full permission to be different. And the differences between those two difference, if that makes sense. But let's go back to what is different. What do you mean you have a different brain uh, from the time that you were 18? I understand the, dis- what did you call it? Dysfuxia? dysfuxia? I understand that. Yeah. Dysfuxia. <laughs> but, <laughs> but beyond that, what does a different brain mean for you? So lots of different things, but uh, I'll start here. If you think about the education system, uh, the the undeclared purpose of the education system amongst many is to uh, uh, provide you with a set of skills and a set of experiences um, so that you can find your place in the world and fit in. Hmm. And human beings have a primordial need, of course, Jamie, to fit in. Because if, um, if I'm over here by myself and everybody else is over here, uh, the likelihood I'm the one that gets eaten by the tiger is a lot higher than everyone else. And so there's a comfort, a primordial comfort, a survival instinct that human beings have to fit in as a group. Unfortunately, the most legendary people you've ever met uh, did not fit in. And so there are many people for whom they find their place in their world and they fit into that place. And that's a lot of people. And that's an okay thing. I have, there is no, uh, in any way, shape or form, a negative connotation to any of that. You know, I know people who they wanted to be a vet from the time they were a very little kid. They did the work, they're a vet and they love it. 
and they're awesome and they have a great career. And if that's, you know, you, then fucking A, God bless you. And there's a smaller percentage of us, it'd be interesting to know what percentage, but who never really fit in, who are always different, and for whom there is no place. And so we uh, can't find a place. We have to make a place. And I was always somebody who um, had a challenge fitting into an, an existing thing, system, process, group, whatever. And um, in life, I had to make a place. And so I think if you're different, if you're naturally different, and you naturally don't fit in, and you naturally can't find a place, and the system, in this case, the education system, uh, doesn't work for you because you, you're not like most people. Uh, and if you have this, if you've had this experience, you know, you feel like an alien on the earth a lot of the time, uh, as I did and, and still do, although much less so now as a, as a, uh, as a seasoned adult. And so, um, I, I just knew I had to find a different place and that the, the rules didn't work for me and coloring inside the lines didn't work for me. I was somebody who, if you said, you know, you have to do X, I'd go, well, why, why do I have to fucking do X? And so, and also I think as a, as a dyslexic, dyscalculia, et cetera, et cetera, there's a lot of evidence to suggest. And of course I'm no doctor, but I'll take a look if you want me to, but I, I digress. There's a lot of evidence and I've done a lot of reading and I've had experts on my podcast and so forth and so on to suggest that there is a material difference um, neurologically in the wiring of somebody with a learning difference like dyslexia or dyscalculia or executive function disorder or ADHD, um, people who are on the spectrum for Asperger's, uh, people who are on the spectrum for um, uh, you know, being manic depressive. Um, many of those things I have shades of. And so if you're like that, your experience of the world is different and you naturally don't fit in. You naturally question in a way that most people don't. And, uh, you know, as Spinal Tap famously said, there's a fine line between clever and stupid. And that's the fine line that those of us with radically different brains, I think, I think dance on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and I knew I was different. I knew from a very, very early age. And so it, I gave myself permission, Jamie, to be different. So in, in the, what you last said, you sort of suggested that I gave myself more permission once uh, I retired for the last time. Oh, I don't know if you did. Time. No, it was a question. Do you? Is that, is that, does that happen was more the question. I don't know if you did, but yeah, please go ahead. I, I don't think any, any more way than is the natural evolution of growing as a human being. Yeah. So I didn't hold back. Uh, people say, oh, well, you can, you can say this now. You, you don't have to work. And it's like, no, no, you don't understand. The reason I don't have to work is That's I was right. this way the whole time. Yep. It's not like, yeah. oh, I was a normal person. And then at 38, I decided to let the madman off the chain. No, no, the madman's been off the chain forever. I, I have no choice in that. <laughs> <laughs> I've learned how to harness it and so forth and how to celebrate it and how to um, understand that a different brain is one of the most uh, powerful superpowers a human being can have. Sure. And so as I've gotten older and as I've gotten to know myself, uh, so forth and so on, as I've grown, I've learned to understand it and learned to harness it. 
and also, frankly, learn to be kind of myself when um, all day, every day, my abnormality uh, is very present and it can be very irritating <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> I was going to ask you that. Is is it some, like it, what you just said is interesting, like you've embraced it, you're celebrating it. Um, do you wish it weren't the case? Do you wish you would just fit in? Does that ever? No, 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 absolutely not. I mean, okay. first of all, I don't know any other way. So what What the <laughs> fuck? Um, you know, if you ask somebody who's lived their whole, you know, I, I have a friend who was born um, with, I don't know what the, he, he calls it a club, but an, an ill-formed hand on one arm. And um, he calls it his club. And so he doesn't have fingers and so forth and so on. And he lives an incredible life and he's incredibly successful and he's a father and he's deeply committed to his family and his community. And he's an incredible guy. And, you know, he doesn't have a funk. I forget now if it's his left or his right, but he doesn't have a fully formed hand. Well, that's the life he knows. And he's had a great life. So uh, in my case, that's the life I know. Uh, I don't know any different. Um, has it been the source of some very, very serious pain over the years? Absolutely. Sure. However, it's a source of um, everything that makes me me. Yeah. And it's, a, it's, and it's a radical superpower to have such a different brain. It's in. Uh, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, uh, go, interrupt me, please. No, please. No, it's interesting. You know, you're, you're speaking to the, uh, the the different guy in me to some extent, like what you said about school. Like I remember getting like a C plus or a D and passing and everybody losing their mind, like teachers or whatever, like, you know, we need to improve this. I'm like, I, I remember, I, you know, I didn't have the confidence to say it then. I can look back on it now. And what I was going through is like, why, why I passed, right? Like, who cares? Like, I'm never going to use this again. Like, I, I don't understand. Like, there's a there's a diminishing return in the effort you want me to put in for something that I don't give a shit about, right? Like I don't care about English literature or whatever. I just don't, right, wrong, or otherwise, that's me. And so in my adult years, I've come to grips with the idea that, yeah, that was how I was feeling. But back then it was like, oh my God, I am bad. I'm not a good person because I'm not willing to push for that B or A in this category or this this spot that I've never been in before. So I, I don't know. That was one thing I thought of for me as far as being different in some ways. And I know everybody, you know, there's there's some there's degrees of different for sure, but I love the concept that you created this category, uh, category design concept, right? So uh, maybe this is overly, uh, an overly tactical question, but what, what does that mean? What does that mean to create or design a category? So I'm, you know, I, this is who I am. I don't like this. I do like that or whatever. Uh, yeah. How do you design a category for just being a unique, odd, whatever individual? It's a great question. So to answer the question, let me give you a little bit of context. Please. Um, if you think about every person, entrepreneur, business leader, scientist, artist, social or political leader, in, so any person in any domain, musician, creator of any kind, um, the ones that we admire the most are the ones that broke and took new ground are the ones that took some risks, are the ones that created something new, are the ones that did something exponential. That's why we remember them, right? If you say, who's the greatest boxer of all time? Most people are going to tell you Muhammad Ali. Well, as a boxing fan, I can tell you he's not the greatest boxer of all time. And most boxing people who know boxing um, would tell you that. And it doesn't matter. Because Muhammad Ali told us all he was the greatest of all time. 
And so there's this notion of position yourself or be positioned. And most people don't think about it. And most people don't think about the delta between the incremental and the exponential. And so uh, that's the first piece is that the, the people that we respect the most are the ones that broke and took new ground. And Jamie, as a result, they became known for a niche or a category that they own. If I say to you, um, you know, who's, who, who's um, uh, Bob Dylan? You say, well, he's the greatest folk artist of all time. You say, well, who's the fifth greatest folk artist of all time? Mamas and the Papas. Maybe. <laughs> but the point being is uh, we live in a world that in each domain, each category, and this has become increasingly true over time, and it has been radically accelerated with the internet and then radically accelerated again with the cloud, that in virtually every category, there's one big winner and everyone else gets fucked. So in Play Bigger, we did some primary data science research that was peer reviewed and published in the HBR. And what we found in the tech industry is that on average, the company that wins the space, that is to say becomes the category uh, king, queen, champ, whatever, the leader in the category earns 76% of all of the value created in that category. Wow. In addition, we've done some subsequent research, uh, category pirates and um, category creating companies in the um, fastest 100 companies growing list in the U.S. are valued roughly 5x more than their other fast growing peers. Um, so that's the first piece. Category, uh, the companies that design and, and individuals that design their categories are best positioned to dominate them. And when they dominate them, they earn two thirds of the economics. Another sort of foundational aha is that virtually everything about entrepreneurship and marketing we've been taught is completely fucking wrong. And nobody's really questioned it. And here's what I mean by that. If you say entrepreneur, if you say marketing, if you say sales, what most people hear, Jamie, is compete. As a matter of fact, there is a non-declared, non-discussed, non-thought-through um, assumption that we all make. When you say, okay, we're going to start a business, or we're going to launch a product, or we're going to build a brand. Um, that or The same thing as an individual with your career. How do you compete to get the best job? in your field. And what they do is they play a competition game. And there's over 30,000 books on Amazon uh, written about business strategy uh, and, and startup strategy. And while I haven't read all of them, me and my category partners, uh, category pirate partners have read most of the big ones. And virtually all of them, Jamie, are about how to compete and win. Now, here's the problem. Unless you're the person and or the company designing the category, you're only playing for 24% of the value in the space. And that is something that is so deeply profound. Um, and yet, it happens over and over and over again. And it's the, it's the, it's the distinction between compete for demand. So if you look at it today in Silicon Valley, 
um, on average, startups spend 50% of their venture capital on Google and Facebook ads. Fucking 50%. Certainly in the B2C space. It's a little less in the B2B space. If you are spending money on Google and Facebook ads, by definition, what you are doing is trying to catch existing demand. Somebody typed in a word or a phrase and you want to get that person's attention after they type in that phrase because that phrase or word is relevant to what you market and sell. And then you want them to click on your ad and look at your carbodingulator because they type carbodingulator into Google. Well, the real question is, what made them type in carbodingulator? And so uh, it's one thing to compete. She who creates the demand wins. That is a fact. It is a fact that is backed up by primary data science research uh, published in the Harvard Business Review. And I would assert to you that getting data uh, published in the HBR is the single hardest business publication to get data uh, published in. There are other publications that are hard to get data in, but that one's in the business world. In the English business world, it's probably the most difficult um, because of the proctology exam they give you in the peer review. (laughs) Anyway, my point is that's the data. Those are the facts. And yet business leaders who claim to be fact-based, who claim to be data-oriented, spend their entire lives competing, spend their entire lives in the big brand line, spend their entire lives believing the best product wins. And if we build a great carbodingulator, then we'll be able to compete for carbodingulator demand and we'll win. Because once the world sees how much better, and that's the word they use, uh, our carbodingulator is, of course, they'll, they'll buy it. When in point of fact, legendary marketing is not a comparison. And here's why. Let's try one. Yeah. Pepsi tastes better than Coke. Pepsi tastes better than Coke. Pepsi tastes better than Coke. And in a blind taste test, nine out of 10 people pick Pepsi. As a matter of fact, John Scully, CEO of Pepsi at the time in a blind taste test on TV, picked Coke. Uh, but Pepsi tastes better than Coke. Pepsi tastes better than Coke. What's in your mind? Pepsi tastes better than Coke. Yeah. And what does that make you want to do? Drink Pepsi. Well, for most people, it makes them want to drink Coke. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. Because oh. it's, it's, uh, let me try it a different way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you can think about anything you want except for pink elephants. Anything at all. Just think about anything you want, anything you Got want it. at all. No pink elephants under no circumstances. <laughs> pink elephants, no pink elephants. What's in your mind? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pink elephants, no doubt. Yeah. I guess. And you. so okay. when you do comparison marketing to capture demand, which is the vast majority of marketing, you might as well Venmo your marketing spend to the competition. No kidding. Pepsi might be the dumbest marketing company in the history of dumb marketing companies. As a matter of fact, I had a chance to have their CEO on my podcast. And I said, no, because they're the fucking stupidest executive team in the history of executive teams. <laughs> that is fascinating. And it's funny because I... I um. I believe that a, a phrase that, and you tell me if you think this is at all in your mind accurate, if you're like, hell no, uh, a phrase that is, I, I'm a newer entrepreneur, right? And I feel like the word, let me take it a step back. 
for me to become an entrepreneur, there was a lot of sort call, call it imposter syndrome or whatever. Like, well, I've always worked within the structure of a company, a Fortune 100 company. I can't be, I'm not smart enough. I'm not this, I'm not that. But the one thing I've always, fe- always feel like I've had that I relate to entrepreneurship is a level of defiance. And I feel like what you just talked about is exactly that, right? It's sort of defiance and saying, well, if everybody's saying Pepsi's better than Coke, I want to go have Coke. Is that essentially what's at the heart of that? No. Uh, so those are two completely separate things. The The first point on the Pepsi tastes better than yeah. Coke is when you do comparison marketing, you are inviting competition. Oh, I see. I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Makes sense. You are inviting a discussion called, hmm, maybe we should think about what tastes better. Mm. And so you can you imagine how fucking stupid it is? You, you see it all the time. Turn on your TV. And, and sooner or later, you will see an ad for a local car dealer. And that ad will be the uh, epitome of the insanity of competition and the insanity of traditional branding. Come on down this weekend. We will not be undersold. We got blue ones and red ones and blah, blah, blah. We got inventory. We need to get, we need to move these cars. Come on down. We got the best service. We got the best selection. We will not be undersold. We got free donuts. Come on down. Right. And so when you do that, you're inviting the comparison. Oh, you have the best selection of whatever's that I'm interested in. Hmm, Do you or don't you? Et cetera, et cetera. And so yeah, yeah, yeah. when you invite competition into the conversation, you have a mental deficiency. But we've been taught that bi- that winning in business is about competing. And the way you win is I'm better than them. And better is a trap. Because better forces comparison. Different forces a choice. Pizza, ice cream. They're not comparable. They're not replaceable. And so that's what the legends do. They, in, they introduce the world to something that's radically new and different. They evangelize that different with a point of view. And they, with that point of view, what they are attempting to do is essentially uh, get people excited about a new and different way of thinking about something. And when enough people agree with that new and different point of view, then a category tips. And for, and for some small businesses, that number might be 50 people. And even for some big, bigger businesses, that might be 2,500 people. And so a relatively small number of people can be the beginning of getting a new category to tip, of moving the world from an old way to a new way. Um, and that's what the legends do. Hi, buddy. Is the- <laughs> This is my dog, Bean. Yeah. Very cute. <laughs> is this, yeah. um, and this is where, you know, my brain, I've written down a million things. So if you don't mind just kind of deep diving this with my smaller brain, the, is this the iPad in some ways? Cause the question that's coming to my brain is like, how do you know what category, you know, like, is it a matter of just, you know, well, I see a need, I'm going to go for it. And then it's just trial and error. I mean, do, do the greats, the legends, is it, is it, is it, uh, a part of their of their you know their story that there's 15 fallen broken categories they tried to create before they hit it on the 16th or the 20th or whatever i'm trying to figure out like all right so i've got i've got this idea this concept this thing that's different i want to create a category i want to be a category creator here I, I, my brain goes to like okay i don't maybe it's just my 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 uh what is it my uh 
limited mindset on this, but like, what do I create? How do I know it's a marketable creation? Like I think of the iPad. I remember when it came out, like, why do we need a bigger iPhone or a smaller laptop? Like, why do we need something in between? But I was wrong. We needed it. I'm convinced we needed it. I have two, you know? So how are categories created then? Like, cause I get the concept. I love the point you just made, but then what do, if I'm out there sitting there thinking, okay, I'm in this business and I'm in that 24%. I know who the 76% is. I know who the king is in my category, the queen. I'm competing for 24%. Holy crap, Christopher Lockhead, you just blew my brain out. So I want to create a new category. What do I create? <laughs> how do I how do I go through that? Is yes. that too elementary a question or does that make sense? No, it's a, it's a foundational question, of course. Because once you understand that competition is for morons, then of course, the question, if you have an IQ, um, and by the way, most people don't think, um, uh, we just had Roger Martin on Follow Your Different, and Roger's considered by most to be the greatest uh, management thinker alive today. The CEO of Ford says that he's this generation's uh, Peter Drucker, and he's he's won more awards than you can win. win. He's the former dean of the uh, MBA school at University of Toronto. Anyway, he's written a whole bunch of books and, and so forth and so on. And the way he describes it, Jamie, is that uh, at a high level, there's two kinds of thinking. There's reflexive and there's reflective. Reflexive, obviously coming from the word reflex, is if I say to you, um, uh, the First Amendment's bullshit, you're going to have a reaction. <laughs> right. Right. And you might say something. Yeah. Well, that will be reflexive. That will be a reflex. You won't, the likelihood that you won't have heard what I said after I say the First Amendment's bullshit is exponentially high. Sure. So A, um, uh, the vast majority of thinking is reflexive, not reflective, which is, hmm, oh, that's interesting. The First Amendment's bullshit. Why do you say that? Let me reflect on that what to me sounds like a very counterintuitive statement and frankly is wrong, but let me reflect on it. So it turns out that thinking about thinking is the most important kind of thinking. And most people don't think most people, uh, when they're listening, what they're really doing, what most people call listening is called waiting to talk. And what they're waiting to talk about, is something that they already understand and agree with. And so um, adults can go through the vast majority of their adult life without ever really having many reflective thoughts. Okay, so if you want to be a category designer, you have to be able to fucking think, not just have reflective thoughts. Now, you have to be able to think in a unique and different way. So here are some of the cornerstone mindsets. Uh, my friend, Mike Maples uh, Jr., who's the co-founder of Floodgate Capital. He was a seed investor in uh, Twitter. Um, his partner, Ann, was a seed investor in Lyft, uh, et cetera, et cetera. The, Mike and Ann and their firm is considered some of the smartest people in Silicon Valley. Anyway, what Mike says is that entrepreneurs are visitors 
from the future. So to get to your question. Hmm. I like that. Yeah. An entrepreneur is somebody who experiences an aha. Somebody who has an insight around a problem or an opportunity. And that insight, that aha, is generally around a problem that nobody knew they had or an existing problem meaningfully reimagined. So um, uh, Purell is a great example. When Purell was first launched, nobody had a hand sanitization problem. I don't know about you. I never thought of that. That's a great point. Yeah, no, I I didn't. (laughs) And the existing problem, which is how do I clean my hands? Yeah. People didn't even think about it as how do I clean my hands? People thought about it as how do I wash my hands? Mm. Well, the makers of Purell are a company called Gojo Industries. And Gojo Industries created a mega category over 50 years ago. At the time, there was a category called soap. And what soap meant was bar soap. And the founders of Gojo were actually a husband and wife team. They worked in some kind of a factory. um, And the wife thought it was disgusting that she had to wash her hands at the end of her shift with this fucking bar soap that was full of dude gunk, hair and shit. She's like, this is disgusting. There's got to be a different way. Mm. Or to quote the big Lebowski, this aggression will not stand, man. And so her and her husband had that insight. The way it was then, or spoken in the present tense at the time, the way it is now cannot be the way it is in the future. And they got busy. And they created a new category of soap called liquid soap. Hmm. And if you are in an airport today or you are in an office building or some kind of a public bathroom, if you look closely on the dispenser, you probably have an eight out of 10 chance of seeing a Gojo logo on it. No kidding. 80%, now, 76%, right? Yeah. Uh, roughly. I don't I don't have the exact numbers in front of me. I <laughs> no, look I all the time because I think they're one of the great, greatest category designing firms ever. Yeah. So here's what happens. That was like several generations ago. They become the category queen of liquid soap. Hmm. But they never stop being obsessed with the problem. See, most entrepreneurs are obsessed with their solution. Hmm. And they fucking forget that nobody buys a solution, aka a product or service, unless they have a problem. And she who frames the problem the most powerfully wins. So Gojo never stops thinking about this problem called clean hands. And then one day, Jamie, they asked this question How do I? wash my hands in the absence of water. Mm. And the asking of that question creates one of the most important new categories in history. And even pre-COVID, if you had young children, 
and you were walking around town with those children and you had your stroller, if, if you don't bathe little Jackie or Johnny in that shit on a regular basis, we're calling Child Protective Services. Washing your hands in the absence of water becomes such a giant problem. The U.S. military becomes one of Gojo's biggest customers. Wow. Wow. Most of us have a squirt squirt of the shit in our car. This is all yeah. pre-COVID. Then yeah. COVID happens and now everybody's got to bathe in it. Anyway, my point is um, everything is the way that it is because somebody changed the way that it was. And in this example, the entrepreneurs at Gojo asked different questions around a new and different uh, uh, insight that wasn't aha in the first place. How do I wash my hands without a fucking bar of soap? Because they're disgusting. Mm. It also happened to be radically more economical, right? So if I'm the provider of the services in that bathroom, liquid soap is more cost-effective than bar soap. They create a whole new category and they drive, as we call them, Jamie, a set of Frodo's from twos. They move the world from the old way to a new and different way. And then several generations later, they do it all over again with Purell. Everything is the way that it is because somebody changed the way that it was. And so once you realize that, and you're able to ask yourself some powerful questions like, hmm, what's the real problem here? Hmm, what's missing? What are we missing here? Like, I, do you have the brain that goes, I got a table right here in my office. It's got four legs on it. Why doesn't it have three? Or what would happen if it had six? Or, and sometimes the insights are much smaller than that. There's a company I buy shirts from called Untuck It. Yeah, sure. And I forget the dude's name. Some dude like us goes, you know what? Um, it's become fashionable now to walk around with your shirt untucked. The problem is most shirts when they're untucked look like fucking tents. So you look like a dork wearing a tent. How do I get a shirt that is tailored in a way that oh, looks like a shirt is supposed to look, but it looks, you don't look like you're wearing a fucking tent if you want to untuck it. Yeah. Well, Untuck It becomes the fucking company, that's the brand. And the category is tailored shirts that are made to be worn outside your belt. Yeah. And bam, the guy's got a, you know, I don't know how big the company is, but like, it's, it's a real company. Yeah. Right. And he, he is, it's a very small different. It's a very small aha. It's a very small five years from now. I want all every man and woman to have a legendary option for wearing a, a beautiful shirt that is not the fuck tucked in and doesn't look like they're wearing a tent. So you can go from, you know, the, the, the Elon Musk putting people on the moon in electric cars to, I want a different kind of shirt. So, you know, there's a spectrum of how radical the kind of exponential breakthrough you're trying to bring to the world is, yeah. but the mechanics are the same. I have an insight. I have an aha around a problem that is either a reimagined problem or a whole new problem that we didn't know we had. And then I go, hmm, this aggression will not stand, man. Then I go, hmm, five years from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, it, it, it has to be different than this. Everything is the way that it is because somebody changed the way that it was. I'm going to be that person. That's a category designer. Wow. Okay. 
this brings me around back to reflective versus reflexive. And I've heard you talk a lot about this, right? You know, you, you, I think have mentioned on, on multiple things I've listened to and read how for you, there's, there's, you know, there's days that you sort of go through the day, probably doing a lot of reflective thinking, maybe reading or whatever the case may be. And I know how much you lament uh, hustle porn and, and that's sort of, you know, that whole niche of the kind of the Gary V Grant Cardone uh, thing is the, is, you know, Somebody listening right now, me included, is thinking, wow, yeah, just time to think makes sense. Is it as simple as we're just always going and feeling like motion creates something and we need to, you know, stop doing that, bring it back, schedule time to think? How does that work? How do you go from reflexive to reflective? Great question. So some of it's time, for sure. We are addicted to the urgent. And with social media, we're now addicted to the dopamine of the notification and the like and the share and all that bullshit. Yeah. Um, and so um, we spend a lot of time. It's actually worse than reflexive, in my opinion. So this is my opinion now, not Roger Martin's. I can't speak for him. Um, what animals have. So we just saw uh, we just saw Bean, right? And he came for a visit. Yeah. Well, kitty cat. Unbelievable kitty cat. We call him our dog because he's so much like a dog. Actually, you want to know what he did this morning, Jamie? But uh, pee or poop? Both? Well, so he, he took a shit. <laughs> and my wife. I have two young for, kids, so I'm still in the pee poop mode. Go ahead. I'm yeah, sorry. What were you saying? Poop. And as you probably know, cats are generally pretty, pretty clean. They poop in their box. Bum, bum, bum. And we're done. We're making coffee first thing this morning. And we turn around and look. And Bean, who's. We call him a dog, but he's, he identifies a dog. He's genetically a cat. We're, we're looking at him and he is dragging his ass on our fucking cement floor. And he creates a long shit stripe on the floor, just like a dog. You know how they do it? They sit yeah. their butt I down. Too. Yep. Okay. So they do this, right? You've never seen a fucking cat do that. Never. Ever. Yeah, so he got a uh, he got a butt bath after that. And he was so mad. I don't know. Can you see this scratch on my chest? No, I see the tap. Oh yeah, yeah, yes, I do. Yep. Yeah, that red mark. Yeah, that he decided he was going to climb me like a tree. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll get you. Yeah, I love it. All right. So I don't know why I don't know why the fuck I brought that up. What was the question? <laughs> <laughs> Reflexive to reflective. The, oh yeah. The, okay. The perfect. To. This is why I brought Bean up. So um, being like all animals live in what is often referred to as a stimulus response. Mm -hmm. So if I, if I call him right now, uh, he'll come and he'll, and he'll get a treat and he'll be happy. And every time I do that, his behavior is going to be virtually identical and it's going to work most of the time. You know, there's a, a Pavlov's dog, right? Ring the bell and I'll salivate, right? So here's the thing. Most of us are in a stimulus response to life. So yes, do you need time to step back and do reflective thinking? Yes. But we should be able to pause at any moment and do reflective thinking. Hmm. We are so trained in stimulus response. We are so, look at what social media has done for us. We are, we are um, scrolling for things that make us feel good. Mm. 
We're scrolling for things that make us feel good. You look at the content that people consume today. They consume obvious content because it's comforting. And when they're presented with non-obvious content, when I say something like 90% of everything we learn about marketing and entrepreneurship is completely wrong bullshit, that's an upsetting statement for most people, right? You talk about personal branding. The reason I have the reaction that I have to personal branding is it's complete intergalactic bullshit and it's actually damaging. Nobody legendary has spent one second on their personal brand, right? Not a one. And yet an entire generation has been taught that what there is to do is grab your fucking phone, do a selfie video and go, hi guys, it's me. I'm having, I'm having cereal for breakfast and um, it, 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 it's, uh, it's, 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 it's meaningful Monday. So do something meaningful today. See you later. Right. The whole internet is full of that. There's nothing interesting, innovative, unique, or uh, non-obvious about anything you mentioned Cardone and, and Gary V have ever yeah. fucking said ever. You go on, you're a podcaster. Go Google this right now. Google the fucking thing right now. Google how to market a podcast. And I can tell you everything's going to be on that list. Every single thing on the list is a no shit Sherlock. Get another podcast. Nah. Promote your podcast. on idiot. Nah. Right? Like it's like, Duh. And almost everything we read is that fucking stupid. But we consume it because we are reflexive thinkers who want to consume thinking that makes us comfortable. Mm. And, and this is the scariest part of all, the obvious that makes us comfortable is something that happened in the past. And you cannot create a different future with a lens called the past. That's why legendary entrepreneurs are visitors from the future. They are mining the non-obvious. The obvious, by definition, is incremental. The non-obvious is exponential. Mm. And yet, look look at the business content we consume. 10 steps to grow your business on Facebook. Right? All of it's completely obvious. Now, look, there are situations where the obvious is helpful. I was going to ask you that. What about for those that are starting out, don't know any better? Is that helpful in that regard? Yes. So, um, uh, and let me give you an analogy. Um, If you're a young person and you want to start a band, you want to learn how to play guitar or keyboards or or synthesizer, whatever the fuck you want to do. You have a creative musical um, part of you and you want to get together with some friends to do that in a band of sorts. Um, What does a band starting out do? Well, the vast majority of bands starting out learn cover songs. When you learn to play guitar, the minute you can play G, E, and D, there's a million songs that use G, D, and E as their principal. Start learning those songs. So everybody starts as a cover band. Most people don't know 
that for the majority of the beginning of Picasso's career until he was, I can't remember exactly. So I might be a little bit off, Jamie, but either in his late thirties or maybe even early forties, he was chasing Van Gogh and nothing happened in his career. Because is it fun to go to a bar and listen to a great cover band? Absolutely. And there's a sum total of zero cover bands in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Picasso's career doesn't take off until he does a radical um, new category design. And he becomes not just a painter, he becomes the godfather of cubism. And if you go to his Wikipedia page right now, in the first sentence or two, that's what it says, that he is one of the founders of a new form of art called cubism. And the aha here is the category makes the brand. The reason you and I know Picasso is because he's the creator of cubism. So anyway, to get back to your point, if you're just starting off, look, is there value in copying others? Of course there is. But here's the problem. An entire generation of younger entrepreneurs have looked at the Gary VDs of the world. They got the disease, the me disease, because right? that's what you get when you when you have Gary VD. Um, and they think that the pathway to success is becoming internet famous. Mm-hmm. And that's not the pathway to success. The pathway to success is make a difference for others at scale. Interesting. So Gary Vee, let's go to him for a second. He's a guy I follow. Is he the category king of being internet famous? Is that part of why it makes no sense to follow Gary, you know, the catch Gary VD, as you put it? Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, is there a, is there sort of like this weird, I don't know, like your point is, hey, create the category. And, be, and that's where, that's where the, that's where the, uh, the brand comes from. Not like just be your personal brand, sharing your Cheerios on, on, on Instagram or whatever. But did Gary V create that? So almost in some way, when somebody says, oh, man, you're like the next Gary V, it's like not possible. He has 76% of that category. Does that make Correct. sense? There's no such thing as the next Gary V. Yeah. Thank fucking God. <laughs> but but I thought you'd love Gary V. I got this all wrong. Well, the, the issue is um, <laughs> it's like the Kardashians, right? They want to be famous for being famous. And yes, sure. does he want to sell whatever stupid product? you know, bullshit NFT, you know, shyster move that he's trying to make. Sure. So it's, he's got a business on the back end of it. But um, what these people don't understand is they say they are in the attention business. And the only people in the attention business are people who don't think they got loved by their parents enough. And so they're trying to get love on the internet likes and shares and followers equals love. Legendary entrepreneurs are not trying to compensate for the fact that their mother didn't love them on the internet. Legendary entrepreneurs are missionaries, not mercenaries. If it's about you, you're a mercenary. Mm. If it's about them, you're a missionary. That makes sense. Resolve this for me as I'm looking at, like I'm thinking about you. So you've got a couple of podcasts You've got a newsletter, right? You need to you need to get that out there, obviously, so people get benefit from your message. So your category is, I, I don't know, uh, uh, I guess the different that we talked about, right? That's the category that you've created. 
Yeah. How do you or, or do you escape being lumped in to personal brand or being in the space of having a personal brand, given what you given that you have books and products and all that stuff to put out? Is it because you're yeah, resolve that for me. Is it because you're focused on yeah. the product? Go go for it. So it looks like you have an answer to this. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a very obvious one. And it's one that it, you can you can see. Um, which is I can speak for myself, obviously, and my partners. We give a fuck about making a difference to other people. Yeah. So why did your GoBros write Tribe of Millionaires? Pat and David and 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 and, and Tim need to make more money off selling a fucking book? No. Oh, and by the way. If those guys, if you said to those guys, hey, listen, um, what you need to focus on for the next 12 months is making the most amount of money. The last fucking thing you do is write a book or or start a newsletter or sell an internet course, yeah. right? That's the last thing they do. So it, it comes back to a very powerful difference. And the very powerful difference is missionary versus mercenary. I love that. Yeah. And so if you look at what me and my category Pirates Brothers put out there, it's about that. It's about empowering the different to make a difference. It's about building the category of category design because more than 90% of startups fail. And one of the primary reasons they fail is because entrepreneurs and marketers have been taught a bunch of fucking lies. Mm. One of them is the competition lie. One of them is the brand lie. One of them is the product lie. And um, and so if you are somebody for whom, I'll speak for myself, Don, not, not my partners, entrepreneurship saved my life. Entrepreneurship made my life. Entrepreneurship in the United States of America is such a magical gift that an 18-year-old with no nothing, no money, no education, no relationships, no fucking nothing, can hang up a shingle with his buddy and be financially free by 28. That's possible in our country. And that's possible in other countries that uh, support and empower uh, entrepreneurship. And so for us, we want more people who are committed to the exponential, who want to change their future and the future of others. We want to increase the odds of that. There's been an explosion in creators now, independent solopreneur creators on the internet. We think it's one of the greatest things to happen ever. One of the reasons we rail against personal branding is a lot of them get stuck in that trap and it fucks them up and it decreases their success. And frankly, it makes them look like self-promotional assholes, right? So, so I think if somebody who encounters our work will quickly see that it's not about going, hey, guys, it's me, <laughs> right? It's yeah. actually about you. And look, are we egoless? Of course not. Is any entrepreneur who wants to create a different future, uh, do you have to have a strong ego to do that? Yes, you you, you have to be uh, stupid enough and arrogant enough to think that you can make the future different. But at the same time, um, you have to be a humble warrior. There's an expression in martial arts that says, you will either be humbled by martial arts or 
uh, be humble about martial arts. Because mm. <laughs> sooner, sooner or later, somebody's going to punch you in the face. Um, and then there's other small things. Like uh, we, we've written uh, a number, you know, so right now, um, I'm a 10 time number one bestselling author and two thirds of those books, uh, are category pirates books. You will not find my name on the cover or back cover or spine of a category pirates book. And you won't find Nicholas Cole and you won't find Eddie. Yoon. It says category pirates hmm. because we're not in love with our fucking selves. We are not masturbating on the internet, hoping you like it. That's not what we're doing. It's about trying to make a difference for others. Yes, do we have egos? Sure. Is our shit free? No. But frankly, if it was free, people wouldn't value it. We could afford to give the shit for free. So there's a, it has to cost some money, right? We're radically generous. We give the shit away free all the time. And you're talking to somebody who has donated um, his income for the last three years in a row because the world's on fucking fire. And if you're not being radically generous now, you've lost your mind. Mm. That's just my opinion. No, it's great. Yeah. You know, we spent a hundred thousand dollars trying to save Afghanis because our government left these people behind. It's disgusting. We spent, I don't even know, you know, how much money buying PPE, uh, PPE, uh, PPE, yeah, equipment at the beginning of COVID because our systems were failing and people were at risk. So we got busy, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so um, uh, being radically generous matters. That's why I love One Life. Insane, right? Insane the difference that's been made. And I've been there since before it was started. And I spoke at the very first event and, um, I believe I might be the only speaker who every time I've ever spoken at um, One Life, not only do I not get paid, I write a check. <laughs> anyway, my point is, there's this great expression you might have heard, Jamie. Who you are speaks so loudly, I can't hear what you're saying. I haven't you heard know, that, but I like that, yeah. It, does does David Osborne have an ego? Yeah. Does Pat Hyben have an ego? Absolutely. Does on some level does Tim uh, Rode think he's a pretty awesome fucking guy? He does. Mm -hmm. That's good. That makes them successful. But it's wrapped in humble. Mm -hmm. It's wrapped in uh, focus on others. It's wrapped in mission to make difference. And yes, do they want to make money? Absolutely. Yes. Do they want to live in a nice house? Fuck yeah, they do. Yes. Do they want to help their families in ways that they weren't helped as children? Yes. They, all, the entrepreneurial motivation in of itself is legendary. And the most legendary people in the world, when they handle themselves, turn their gaze outward. And that's why you know, the, the, the message of tribe of millionaires, that's why the message of go abundance of, of, of a group of people who are deeply committed to uh, their own success for sure. And the world and to being radically generous to giving back, right? We all know when you give, you get more than you receive. That's scientifically proven. Yeah. 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 So for many of us, once you get to a place, you know, for me early in my life, you know, we grew up, um, to put it mildly modest, single mother, very little money, 
um, lots of instability on lots of different dimensions. So for me, as a young man, the question was, is Christopher going to make it? Once I answered that question, for others and myself, you turn your gaze outward. Hmm. You know, one of my favorite expressions, Jamie, is if you're lucky enough to make it to the top of a mountain, throw down a fucking rope. Yeah. Yeah. Man, that is inspiring. And look, we've we've just I just, we, came, we just came back from Miami and this personal branding uh, discussion was there. And I know the reason I was curious about that from your perspective, especially, is there's a lot of people that say like, man, I, I, I get why people feel like it's important. But on the flip of it, like I, it's just not my thing. And I love what you said about mission, uh, missionary versus mercenary. Right. That is a great. I've never I've never thought of it that way. And I think that's a great perspective. Because you think of like, does Elon Musk have a brand? Yeah, sure. I mean, we all know who Elon Musk is, but his brand is because he of doesn't what he have he's a done. brand. Well, he does point. not have a brand. So Personal this is the other thing. Yeah. Let, let, let's let's unpack this. So number one, do you know where the word branding comes from? Brand? You you've talked about this. Uh somebody in 1970 something, Tom something, I think. Am I wrong on that? Oh, uh, so yeah, Tom Peters is where personal branding started. Got it, got it. Sorry. <laughs> but branding itself. So one of the things that we're big advocates of at Category Pirates is if you want to think, start with the words. Listen to the words. So leaders in the marketing industry, in the advertising industry, thought it would be a good idea to introduce this discipline in marketing and advertising where they borrowed a word that means taking a hot piece of iron, sticking it on an animal, causing radical injury to show that that animal belongs to me. That's what branding is. So the idiots in the marketing industry said, oh, that's a great analogy. What we want to do is take a hot piece of metal and stick it on our customers in a painful, horrible way so they always remember us. We want to brand our logo, our name in their fucking brains. So just think about that for a second, how fucked up that is. Point A. Now, on the personal branding stuff, here's what you got to understand about brands. Brands are about the people who make the product that is the brand. Brands are about us. Categories are about customers. What makes categories are new and different ways of thinking about problems or opportunities. And when those different ways of thinking about them that we express through this thing called a point of view, when, when the listener to that point of view has the same aha as the creator, as the founder of the category, they get it and th their mindset moves from an old way to a new way. Oh shit, I don't have to use a bar of soap. I, 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 I can use liquid soap. Right now, my friends at Hallow App, right now, story yesterday, cover of the Wall Street Journal, a story about how Silicon Valley is finally admitting its mistake, particularly around social media and specifically around Facebook. And that there's a new breed of digital companies that are emerging to right the wrong. And the leader in that movement 
is a company called Hallow App. I know the guys. I work with the guys. I'm biased. But I'm biased for a fucking reason. And these guys, Naraj and Michael, um, the founders of Hallow, were two of the top executives at WhatsApp. And Naraj helped negotiate a $22 billion deal. He was the what was called the chief business officer of WhatsApp. And Michael was one of the top product guys. So they do that. And then they go to Facebook. And Zuckerberg fucking broke every promise that he made to them. So they left. And as they left, they started to think about it more and more. And they said, you know what? This aggression will not stand, man. We need to have a safe place where there's no censorship, where there's no bots, where there's no fake accounts, where there's no advertising, there's no algorithm, and where we are not the fucking product. Facebook has become evil. And the reason it's evil is because you and I as users are the product and they sell us to advertisers. So they wanted to reject all of that and try to right the wrong. And that's why they created Hallow App. And the Wall Street Journal just wrote a big story about it. Missionaries. Okay. So the category makes the brand. What they are evangelizing at Halloab, uh, the category we are, we call a real life network as distinct from a social network. And the, the from two and the point of view almost writes itself. Social media is for your fake life. Hallow app is for your real life. <laughs> and the only people you connect with on Hallow app are people that have your phone number. Because the assumption the guys made in the founding of the company was, if you and I share a phone number, we're probably close. And if you go on to Hallow app and I'm on Hallow app and you and I don't share phone numbers, you won't even see that I'm there. Hmm. And so... Legends are mission-driven. Categories are about customers, their problems, and their opportunities. Brands are about us. So that's the next big set of uh, what, I, what you might call mental scaffolding. Here's another component of the mental scaffolding. Products are brands. People are not products. Therefore, they are not fucking brands. What's a brand? A brand is a contrived image, purpose built to create a perception. So when people do quote unquote personal branding, they are turning themselves into a fucking product. Now, here's what happens. As you get successful turning yourself into a fucking product, you get very confused because you think it's about you. It's always about the mission. And when it's about you and you are in the, as Gary VD has said, quote unquote, the attention business, right? You have to be more and more outrageous for that to work. Here's a great example. Do you know who Scott Galloway is? No. That's so he's NYU Stern professor, marketing professor. And he's built a big digital presence and, um, and he's become, you know, internet famous doing it. And he's an outrageous guy and he continuously says outrageous things. 
He makes outrageous claims about tech companies, uh, most of which end up not panning out. His his advice and his stock picks and all that are much of it's garbage. But anyway, he behaves uh, over time. He behaves more and more erratically and more and more outrageously because if you're in the like gathering, follow gathering attention business, uh, the more extreme you are, the more tension you get. Well, so here's what happens. I don't know if he was or wasn't a good guy. I had him on my podcast several years ago. I would not have him back. Um, But here's what happens. He does a deal with Bloomberg to do an internet show. And he films a promo for that show. And in that promo, he's not wearing a shirt. And he looks like he's the construction worker from the village people. He's got a hat on and, you know, the belt with the, with the, hammer and shit and he does this jamie this bizarre rap Hmm. and in it he talks about that he uses viagra and something about you know sex and like this guy's a university professor anyway it was insane it looked insane it made no sense at all it got torn down the minute it went up and he got fired from bloomberg and and so i share all that with you because If you're in the attention, uh, self-promotion, personal brand business, if you jump the Grand Canyon on a motorcycle, somebody's going to try and jump the fucking Empire State Building in a motorcycle. It never stops, right? Because it's all about you. And it becomes a disease. And you lose your fucking mind. You become an egomaniac, right? And, and so that's what happens to all of these personal branding, me disease people. This is, this is where it lands because brands are all about saying, isn't this thing awesome? You should try this thing. It's the greatest thing, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, when that's you as an individual, of course, it's going to turn you into an asshole. Hmm. Right. And yeah. so what you want is not a person you've been a contrived manipulation of you that you present to the world. And then you become a character that you play on the internet. That's not what legendary entrepreneurs fucking do. What you want is something called a reputation and reputations are earned. And so what Elon Musk has is a reputation The reason 80 or 90 or 100 million or whatever it is, follow him on Twitter is because he has a reputation for doing legendary shit as an entrepreneur. Not because he wakes up every day and goes, hey, buddy, it's it's, uh, it's hump day, you know, or, or, you know, the Gary VD bullshit. You got to pump out 500 pieces of content today. You know, one of the greatest entrepreneurs of the pandemic is Eric Yuan, founder of Zoom. I know Eric. He's been on my podcast several times. You know how much time he spent printing the branding? Fucking zero. None. Yeah. Interesting. Wow, man. All right. And I've taken you more than I, I thought I would on time. So I'm going to, man, I could go. I got like 18 other questions. Maybe we'll do a part two. Holy crap. You're one of these episodes. I don't listen to like most that I record after they release, but this is one of those where you, and you know, this when you're the host and somebody just went to a layer that as the host, like you can only hear, like, I know what I heard, but I got to go back because I, 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 
I have to hold space for you here, right? Like I got to make sure I'm I'm actively engaged and listening. Now I could be a a passive listener when I go back and listen to this. Holy crap! Missionary versus mercenary stands out to me amongst all the other eight thousand things I wrote down on three pieces of paper here. So, okay, let's do this, Christopher. You. You and I talked at the beginning about your newsletter specific to the GoBundance community, which you've been connected to for a long time. And again, I appreciate you coming on here. So let's go there. Uh, your newsletter, um, uh, what did you want to do with that? You want to make an offer to the GoBundance community, correct? Yeah. And um, before I do that, um, yeah, this is a great example. So uh, Category Pirates, the newsletter is uh, less than a year and a half old. So started, launched in January, February 2021. Yeah. And what did people say to us? Oh, everybody's got a newsletter. Why are you starting a newsletter? Oh, there's already too much business content. Nobody wants more content. Oh, no, nobody's going to read a newsletter that's six to 8,000 words. It needs to be short. Can you put some memes in there? More bullet points, maybe? some listicles, right? And then on top of all that, they go, nobody's going to pay for it. What are you, nuts? Content's free. That's what they said to us. As we sit here this morning, we are in the top 0.5% of paid business newsletters on the planet, and we are number five on the paid charts on Substack. And I share that with you because it's a testament to legendary entrepreneurship. It's a testament to everything we just talked about. So yeah, if your listeners are interested, we're happy to give them a a free trial subscription uh, of everything we've written up till now. And um, and you can jump into it and I hope you love it. Um, And if you don't, well, go go with God anyway. <laughs> do what you got to do anyway. No, I love it, Matt. We'll uh, we'll talk internally on the GoBundance side for members, active members of our communities, uh, uh, giving them access to the newsletter. If we can work that out for sure. So incredible, man, Christopher. I, I mean, anywhere else you want to direct folks? I mean, there's the website. Anywhere you want to make sure people kind of learn more about what you're doing, the work you're doing, anything like that. Blockhead.com. Simple yeah. enough. L o c c a l o c h h e a d dot com yeah. for those that are, uh, and we'll put that in the show notes on here as well. Wow, man. All right. I'm going to go back and listen now. So thank you so much. For, <laughs> thank you thank so you, much brother. for the time today. I Thanks appreciate for having you. me on. And a special, I want to just say a quick special shout out to all of the GoBros, everybody in GoBundance, and of course, everybody in the One Life world. Um, you guys mean the world to me. And, and thank you for your work. Thank you for the commitment of, um, of GoBundance to be a, a group of uh, healthy, wealthy, and wise folks who have a commitment to giving back. Um, thank you for your support of One Life. Um, we've The organization's made such a huge difference to so many, and it's probably more needed now than ever before. So I just, I'm, I'm, I'm super stoked to be associated with um, all of the people in those organizations. And I'm, I'm really proud of the work that um, GoBundance and One Life does. Amazing. Well, I appreciate you being on again. And uh, yeah, we'll connect soon. Thanks, brother. Amen. Well, 
that's it for this episode, but be sure you subscribe for future episodes. Give us a rating and review as well. It just helps us grow the podcast, grow the reach, and give as much value as we can to you on a week-to-week basis. Be sure to go over and check out GoBundance.com while you're at it. Check out Emerge if you're a future millionaire, our elite division if you're in that one to $5 million range, or our champion division at $5 million plus. Or on the women's side, GoBundance Women is available for all of you to join an amazing group of millionaire entrepreneurial women. And if you haven't already, jump on tribeofmillionaires.com and order the book that is the namesake of this podcast. And you'll learn all about what this whole GoBundance thing is, what masterminds are about, and the power of community, accountability, connection, and all of that as you pursue your goals. Thanks for listening again. We'll talk to you soon.